Hello and welcome to another episode of Fransons Furlong and I'm pleased to be joined by Rob Batterham. Evening Dan, Hello, how are you Rob. doing? Yeah, I'm great, thanks mate, and I'm sure you're very well after last week's results. Uh, and hello to our special guest football correspondent who's with us tonight, Phil Franzen. How are you, Phil? Yeah, all good Dan, how are you? Yeah, I'm surviving, mate, surviving. I mean, I wish I could actually get a nap that won. Um, after my last week, I'm still having therapy for Espoir de Rome, which I tipped up at nine to one, was smashing it from the front, jumping like a stag, uh, looked like he had everything else covered. I don't care what Nico de Boinville said on Chantry House because he didn't have him covered. Nico de Boinville after very saying, oh, yeah, I would have beaten it anyway. Second to last, jumped like absolute Pegasus the whole way around. And then uh, decided to fall at the second last. Uh, so I was rather crying my heart out last Friday afternoon. Uh, but apart from that, no, I'm very And uh, we had a great sporting weekend. Uh, obviously, oh, I bet it was. Rob, as all our regular listeners of the pod uh, will have heard on the Masters preview, Rob was a very keen um, gambler on will zalatoris at 66 to 1 to win the masters and he of course finished second rob i mean did you think he had a chance on sunday what were your thoughts on sunday my wife to watch every ball of sunday in the hope that (laughs) we were going to watch a victorious zalatoris but um yeah i mean i think he played a little bit defensively didn't he on the on the final day which is his style um just he just makes sure of it and doesn't doesn't make a mistake but Unfortunately, that wasn't enough to to pull pull back Matsuyama. Um, but yeah, even I mean, it was even interesting to in the last two holes, wasn't it? Like Matsuyama bogeyed the last, which made it um, only a one shot one shot swing. So um, it was very it was very tense on Sunday. Fair play to Hideki because um, <laughs> yeah. he made it interesting. Too many beers, and it yeah, was a late a bloke night, and I felt a little bit clear um, a little bit um, fragile the next day. But anyway, it was good fun. Well, I bet. Well, Hideki, 15, decided to smash it uh, in the water, which which I think uh, everyone who was on Zalatoris, which is everyone on this pod, uh, was pretty pretty happy about. But fair play to him. He got the job done. But uh, how did you feel about the Masters field? Did you enjoy it? Really good, yeah. And I think um, that's the armor. I think his recovery play was brilliant. So when he did make a mistake, he always then nailed the next shot and got back on somewhere near the green or put it near the flag. So I think I think that was the thing that took him home. Um You'll remember in the pre-pre-Masters uh, set where podcast, I tipped him at 28. Put my money on him. Very confident. Obviously, through the four days, we've been following him. Last day, absolutely buzzing for him. I'm watching it, watching it, watching it. I'm sitting there looking at um, on my Skybet account, thinking, oh, the money's coming in. It's strange that the money's not coming in. Check the, check the settled bets and showing us not paid out. So I'm about to kick off. I'm going to phone up Murdoch and give him two pennies worth. Turns out I hadn't backed Matsuyama. I'd backed Colin Morikawa who is not the same golfer. Um, so well, I'm pretty sure you tipped Morikawa on the pod as well, Phil, not Matsuyama. Yeah, as it turned out. So so the two golfers are not the same golfer. So I'd backed the wrong golfer, but convinced I had backed him. So for four days, followed him, literally followed him the whole, he's on my card, on the following, on the app, everything. Got to the, got to the Sunday night, and I'm like, where's my uh, where's my, my cash? And they're going, yeah, Morikawa is not the same golfer, which explains why I didn't get his name right at all for the last week. Um, so, yeah, so I didn't win that in the end. Oh, you've had an absolute <laughs> Western there, mate. Honestly. Because um, yeah. when I listen, because do you know what? You kept telling me that you'd backed Matsuyama. And I was looking at it and going, like, oh, I, I thought Phil tipped Morikawa on that pod. So I listened back to it the other day because I'm, a, you know, the sort of bloke I am. And uh, yeah, and you were like, Morikawa. I was like, oh, Phil must have changed his mind and back to uh, yeah. Hideki instead. Yeah. Um, but no, obviously not. Well, Dave would be gutted as well because he tipped up Hideki to win the tournament before the Masters, which is the Bolero Texas Open at some 20 to 1 or whatever he was uh, for that. So he'll be gutted because he was, a, he was a, a game off as well. So, But yeah, well done, Rob, for Will Zalatoris and well done, Phil, for thinking <laughs> he'd backed Matsuyama. Because I was thinking this is going to be the first golf bet Phil's ever won because he's got a I, terrible I record on golf bet. Yeah. I thought the same. Uh, what a shocker, mate. What a shocker. No, you just cursed Morikawa instead of Matsuyama. Right. Uh, and obviously, we had on Saturday uh, Rachel Blackmore winning the Aintree Grand National on Manila Times. Rob, your I thought thoughts it was on the great national for the sport that Rachel Blackmore won and she was on all of the front pages the next day. Um, <clears throat> and a d- deserving winner, I think. Um, the horse seemed to travel well, jump well, and yeah, was, was up there at the end. So, yeah, great. 
great win and great for the sport. I mean, she's an absolute superstar, Rachel Blackmore, at the moment. Um, and I hope. Well, to win to win the Holy Trinity of the Champion Hurdle, the Queen Mother, and the Gold Cup at Cheltenham, and then to go win the Aintree National uh, is incredible. a pretty yeah. phenomenal um, season. I do I do wonder when we we did our national preview how we missed a horse ridden by a trainer and jockey who's in the form of their lives, thirty six in the handicap of forty, uh, obviously laid out for the national from from a yard that's that's smashing in winners. I do wonder how we didn't really tip it, it up really, but choice, there we are. Man. Such is life, you know. I I, I... <laughs> too obvious. Too obvious, yeah, too and, obvious. Yeah, and I thought uh, the prize was probably skinnier. Phil, did you enjoy the national? Did you watch the national? No, I didn't. And it's it's a funny one because the national for me is normally a, when you're in the office, do the sweepstake, you all get the random your horses. So I, I tend not to to go in on the national actually. But um, yeah, I think Rachel Blackmore this season has been phenomenal, hasn't she? So um, okay, was she, what odds was she on? Was she on a on a eleven to one shot? Eleven yeah. to one. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. third favorite, Rob. I think for, for on the day. But yeah, fair place where she fantastic and. Um, you know, we all on this pod, we all we love horse racing, and it, it's great for racing, as as Rob said, and it puts racing on the front pages for the right reasons instead of the wrong ones, which is exactly. what we all want. Um, and just uh, on an on a on an aside on the podcast, any listeners who want to send in any voice messages to us, issues, questions, or just you know, general you know praise, um, we we will. Uh, you can go on the anchor homepage for the app. Uh, if you Franz and Furlong on the Anchor homepage, anchor.fm, Franz and Furlong, um, and you'll be able to leave voice messages and we can play them on the show. So if you do want to ask us any questions uh, and we can answer them on horse racing or anything else, uh, do leave us messages and we can get back to you. Um, obviously, we've just had the Champions League this week, so we're recording on Thursday night. Phil was obviously our European football expert. Phil, kind of went how you expected, how on the, on the preview pod we did a few weeks ago, kind of how you expected really, wasn't it? Yeah, the um, the Dortmund one was the one I thought actually was going to um, they were going to come unstuck actually because Dortmund went one up um, and then yeah City are just just on an incredible run even with that loss against Leeds they you know they just continued they're just sort of steamrolling through opposition and I think they were they were too much for Dortmund Haaland didn't really turn up to be honest but he's still a very young player um, and City City will take some beating they look phenomenal. Um, even competing on full front, so that that wasn't a surprise. I think the Liverpool one, obviously, personally, is a disappointment. They they didn't show up in the first leg, second leg they played okay, but the quality, you know, Mane Firmino looks so out of form that um, even if they'd gone through, it would have been really an injustice on Madrid. They were they were excellent um, defensively last night. So yeah, I think I think they they deserve to go through. Um, obviously, Chelsea went through um, the night before and, and did enough in the first leg, which wasn't too much of a surprise. Um, um, so no, no, no real shocks. I don't think. Um, and I think it's going to take it's going to take some. Bit. Oh, and obviously the and the other game, obviously the Munich game. Um, probably that was the one that probably you thought Munich would come back, but Lewandowski is that is such a big miss for them. Um, obviously, Chuk Mungteng scored on his derby, so he got his goal again. But he, you know, he's not he's not of the same stand as Lewandowski, and, and it showed because they had something like twenty shots or something ridiculous or chances, and, and he would have bagged probably a hatful in those two games. So I, I think it just shows how, how good he is um, and how much he completes uh, Munich. But um, yeah, P- PSG are an interesting side. And obviously with Pep, um, Pep with Poch um, managing now, they, they look slightly like a, a bit more resilient, um, a bit more about them. So um, yeah, all to play for in the next next round. I think it's some really good ties. Um, but you, you'll struggle to see... I thought it was the tie of the week, uh, that, that PSG Bayern second leg, second leg. I thought it was a great game. I thought I, last I 20 minutes of that game was really good fun. Really good, really good game. I, I watched it uh, last night and it was a fantastic game. I don't know who would, in their right mind watch Chelsea Porto instead of that last night because um, it was fantastic. Um, but yeah, Rob, did you say any of it this week? What's your thoughts on it? Yeah, you, I did. I watched expected? a bit of the City Dortmund game last night and yeah, Jude Bellingham was standout, but then Phil Foden just absolutely tearing them, tearing them apart in the second half. Um, it, it bodes well for, for England's future, though. That was, that was what I took away from it. But yeah, it was a super exciting game. Um, I'm looking forward to the semi-finals now. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be previewing them on Francis Furlong at the right time. I'm sure Phil will be joining us for that pod. Uh, and we can have a look to the Champions League quarterfinals. But Phil's sort of tip of the Champions League of Real Madrid at 10-1. to 1. Uh, before the quarterfinals, I'd imagine it's a lot shorter now for obvious reasons. So, uh, yeah, he's still going on that bet. So, top draw. 
Uh, I know the UEFA Cup is tonight, so I think United are winning at that at the moment. I've just been informed by by my uh, Man United fan who joins me. And uh, yeah, so they're winning at the moment. So Rob's little double on United and Real Madrid looks a pretty decent one at the moment. So on tonight's show, let's get tonight tonight's show. Let's preview the weekend action. Um, we're going to be looking at the World Snooker Championship. Uh, we're going to have a little look at in, into, the, into the snooker, which starts at the Crucible on Saturday. And we're going to be looking at the racing. We're going to look at Scottish Grand National on Sunday and the Newbury uh, couple of guineas trials on Sunday as well. We have the Hilton Head Golf, which we'll touch on briefly. But firstly, I want to just look ahead now because we've got our football expert on the pod. I just want to look ahead to the FA Cup semi-finals this weekend. So, Phil, you know, we've, on Saturday, we've got the first semi-final, Chelsea versus Man City. And on Sunday, we've got Leicester versus Southampton. Market at the moment is Man City are four to five favourites to win it. Chelsea four to one. Uh, Leicester seven to two. Leicester are second favourites. Sorry, the other way around. And Southampton are ten to one. Phil, thoughts on this weekend's FA Cup ties? Yeah, so it's an interesting couple of times. I think when the draw was made, it was nice that probably the two strongest teams play each other. So um, Tuchel's got Chelsea playing really well, very strong defensively. City are beating pretty much every team they play, um, arm based in Yorkshire. Um, so they're they <clears throat> It looks like a really good tie. You you feel like City probably have enough, but at the same time, Pep will probably rotate. I think he'll probably bring in some of the players. I think Sterling will get a start. Probably Jesus Aguero seems to be kind of backup at the moment. Cotton Wool. Um, so I, yeah, that one's a very tough to call game. I, I think it's going to be very tight. Um, Sterling, I think he's been he's not been in great form. I think he could probably be the difference. I think he'll play the ninety and maybe score. Um, and you know, I think I think it's a it's a tough one. But with the with the four game competitions that City are playing in at the moment, the league's probably the most banked. You would think. Um, Spurs in the uh, Carabao Cup, and then um, this one. Yeah, I think it's a tough ask actually. So they put a lot of effort in on Wednesday. It's you know everything says City will win. I have a sneaky feeling Chelsea might get do something on 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 Saturday. But yeah, I I think tough to call. Um, and for and for the for the cheeky bet, I've I've gone for City to come from behind and win, and you can get nine to one on that. And that feels that feels like that could be a maybe a Giroud start, get a goal. And then City come back in the second half. So probably City to win. But don't be surprised if Chelsea um, do something in that game. What, what do you see it, Sam? Uh, well, I hope you don't get any splinters from the amount of sitting on the fence you just did there. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I think I think I'm going to say can't... City are going to win it because that is what I think. <laughs> uh, it's hard. <laughs> Is City are going to win it, but I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea <laughs> did. I like that. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I, I think you can't can't back against City at the moment they're like a juggernaut uh, they're like a runaway train and to stop them is going to take some serious effort I think Chelsea's only hope is to play it very very tight try and frustrate City um, in the build-up put two banks of four um, and really try and dry up the attacking threat and actually try and nick a goal I think that's probably their only shout um, for me but Rob um... how about you mate well, I think, yeah, City's to lose, isn't it? They're the form team. But what I wanted to do is cast your mind back two years to um, your, your most famous semi-final victory, Watford v Wolves 2019. Does it bring back any memories, FA Cup semi-final weekend? Well, if, if, it's, a, it's a little glow, just a little glow deep, deep down know. inside that when you mentioned that. Great game. Phil was there with me. It was a great game. Um, I yeah, I mean, anything can happen in FA Cup semi-finals. And um, my only, my, my, the main thing I think about then is Watford did amazing. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Watford fan. Watford did amazing to get to the final that year. And even losing six 0 to City in the final doesn't take a gloss off it for me. I think it was an amazing cup run, and I wouldn't swap anything uh, for that semi-final day because it was an amazing, amazing day. And all I would say is the thing that sticks out for me is City shouldn't have got to that final. They should have been knocked out in the fourth round or whatever it was against Swansea when they were 2-0 down with 20 minutes left. And somehow they've beaten Swansea 3-2. And I still don't really know how that happened. And I still look back and think, if we hadn't played City in the final, we might have actually won the FA Cup. But it was a great day. And um, we still got pictures. When Dini celebrating the goal and running off to the corner flag, there's a great picture of him running towards the corner flag. And in the background, you can see me and my other brother, Mark, celebrating and Phil you can't because he's he's being hugged by some massive skinhead next to him. Um, and, and Phil's not in the picture. But me and Mark are. It's a great picture. Great day. 
great day. And uh, nothing can take the gloss off it. But yeah, 6-0 wasn't ideal in the final. So, Phil, what do we think about Leicester versus Southampton then in the other semi-final? Yeah, I think this will be a cracking game, actually. Um, so I think the Leicester, probably the better team. I think they've probably got a better better first eleven certainly, in the squad. Um, they've got their players back who were obviously out last weekend for their COVID night out. So they, you know, they've got Madison um, Perez back in. So I think I think everything says Leicester will win this game and, and Brendan will go on shiny teeth lifting the trophy. You can see it happening. But I, I fancy Southampton. I think... For them, this is a bigger game. I think, you know, their season's kind of petering out a bit. They've been on a pretty poor run. Leicester have been on a poor run too. But um, you feel like Southampton, there's something there. They haven't, you know, won a trophy since, well, they haven't won the FA Cup since the 70s. I think this is a big game for them. And I I fancy Southampton. They've, I think I think they've got a couple of thousand fans coming as well, which is good to see um, going into the game for both both sides. So I, I fancy Southampton. And I think, yeah, in terms, in terms of a little cheeky, cheeky direction, I think... Um, Adams or, or Ings to score in 90 and Southampton to win, you can get four and six to one. That feels like smart money to me. I think I can see Southampton winning this one. And then obviously it's a final, so you never know against the big boys on the other side of the draw. But yeah, I, I, I'd, go, I'd go Southampton on this one. Rob, what do you think? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Southampton are safe, you think, from relegation. So um you know, this is this is their season, really, and this is all they got to play for. So they'll be they'll be up for it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's a cup final, isn't it? Well, cup semi final. Sorry, so anything can happen. Well, Southampton are just under three to one to win the game in ninety minutes. Uh, so I I agree with you, lads. I think I think that Southampton, this is their cup final, if you like. This is what they've only got to play for. Leicester, obviously, their main focus is probably going to be fin- finishing in the Premier League. Uh, top four so actually Saints might do a job and I'd love to see it obviously Saints the last time they got this far in the uh, the cup was actually when they played Watford in the semi-final Phil we were there in 2001 when I was 13 and you were a bit older than that um, <laughs> and uh, yeah Watford lost 2-1 and Southampton went through to the final to lose against Arsenal in the final so you know it's, it's a big game for those Saints and and I think they might just I think I agree with you I think I think if there's going to be a surprise result I'd rather back Southampton than Chelsea. And at the odds, Chelsea are just over three to one. So the bookies would agree with me that Southampton have got their chance. But out of the two, which is similar prices, I would have Southampton over Man City to win their semi-finals in 90 minutes. Uh, and obviously, yeah, we ho- wish everyone the best of luck. And we hope that it's uh, Southampton in the final would be great. It would be really good to see. Uh, anything more to say, Phil, on the FA Cup? Just, just on if you're if you're back in Leicester, um, you can you can get three to one on them winning the whole thing at this point. So if you if you think they're going to beat Southampton, maybe go in on them to win the, the whole thing because um, they're, they're quite skinny on on just to beat Southampton. But if they do, you know, they, if you think that's a winnable game and can and can nick the final big game final, then yeah, maybe go maybe go for them to win the whole thing. Yeah, no, fair, fair enough, and uh, look forward to seeing what's going to happen in those. So our next. A part of tonight's podcast is going to be previewing the Betfred World Snooker Championship starting this Saturday at the Crucible in Sheffield. Uh, obviously, it's a pretty legendary event. It's the sort of highlight of the snooker season. I think all three of us have been to the Crucible over the years. Um, I think sort of my feeling on the Crucible is it's such a brilliant snooker venue, only holds 900. It's very intimate. Uh, and it's the place if you want to go and watch snooker um, to go and watch it. But you'll be pleased to know, boys, I've prepared a small quiz for us in Franzen's Furlong podcast tradition. Um, so tonight's quiz, Phil, if you've been listening to the last couple of weeks that uh, of Dave, Rob and I, uh, it's a list round. Take it in turns uh, to, to, to give us answers. And tonight I want you to tell me snooker players since 1969, which is considered the modern era in inverted commas. Uh, there, I, I've been 23 players who have got to two or more Crucible finals, or, or I should say uh, World Championship finals, because the Crucible only started hosting it in 1977, I think. Um, so 23 players have reached two finals or more. Uh, Rob, would you like the honour? Ronnie O'Sullivan. Ronnie O'Sullivan is correct. Well done. Phil? That's, that's all I have. Um, I'm going to go Stephen Hendry. 
Stephen Hendry, correct. So Ronnie O'Sullivan got to seven. Stephen Hendry has been to nine. He is the uh, player who's been to most finals in snooker history. Rob? I'll go for the other great, Steve Davis. The legendary <clears throat> nugget himself. Eight finals, won six of them. Phil? Uh, Ray Reardon. The great Ray Reardon. Seven finals with six world championships. Rob? John Higgins. The Wizard of Wishaw. He got to eight finals and only won four of them. So he's only got 50% final uh, win record, but the great John Higgins. Yeah. Uh, Phil? Uh, Mark Williams. Mark J. Williams has been to four finals and won three of them. Well done, Phil. Rob? Jimmy White. The whirlwind of London town. Jimmy White, my favourite. Six finals and lost all six. Uh, I didn't uh, realise he never won one. All right. Oh, he's now, oh, yeah, bless him, old Jimmy. Yeah, it's a, it's a painful uh, existence being a Jimmy White fan. Um, and Jimmy, bless him. Yeah, lost six finals, uh, four to Stephen Hendry in a row. Oh, in a row, might have had one oh, in between. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, and then lost to John Parrott and um, Davis in the other one in the 80s. But yeah, old Jimmy. Uh, Phil. Oh, was it Phil? Was came, it? Yes, me. Yeah, the fact yes, that Hendry yeah. came out of retirement to stop him getting even into the tournament this year. Well, I mean, it. we can draw on it, but that was a terrible. Some of us watched that game, that Phil. Just, just bad. think. I mean, it was, it wow. was bad. I mean, I love Jimmy. Didn't qualify. And the thing is, Jimmy, Jimmy's actually been playing all right this season. Jimmy's got his son, his form back. He's practicing hard. He's playing all right. But I think he just felt the pressure uh, of the game, and he hates playing Hendry. Bless him. He really hates playing Hendry. He just all those old demons. I think came back. It was a horrible game for Jimmy. Much, much more horrible than for Stephen. Uh, sorry, Phil, your go. Uh, I'll go Judd Trump. Judd Trump, yes. Two finals, one win. Close. <laughs> I think you gave a clue away earlier, or just just earlier, John Parrott. John Parrott, did I did I say that was one of did, Jimmy's yeah, yeah. Uh, Jimmy's final losses? A, uh, so that was two finals and one win, correct, yes. Phil? I'll go Alex Higgins. In of course, Hurricane Higgins, how could you uh, not have Hurricane Higgins? Four finals, two wins. Correct. Rob? Mark Selby. Mark Selby, the jester from Leicester. Uh, four finals, three wins. Correct. Phil? I'm out of players now, I think. Uh, I'll go Neil Robertson. Uh, Neil Robertson, I think, has only been in one because the one he won. <sighs> Uh, yeah, Neil Robertson has only got to one final and it's the one he actually won. So sorry, Phil. Uh, Rob, uh, you are tonight's winner. Rob, do you have any more up your sleeve? Um, uh, Peter Ebden was my only other one. Peter Ebden, yeah. Three finals, Peter Ebden. Yeah. Uh, so you could have had the great John Spencer, uh, Ken Doherty, the Darren from oh, Dublin, yeah. uh, Graham Dot, uh, it's been to three finals, uh, Peter Ebden, uh, Sean Murphy, Cliff Thorburn, Ali Carter, Eddie Charlton, Terry Griffiths, Joe Johnson, Matthew Stevens, and the great Dennis Taylor. Hey, Is your 23. Oh, well, that, do you know what? That was a lot better than the golf one we did uh, <laughs> yeah. two weeks ago. So that I, was good. I was glad you didn't have a quiz when I was on before that. That's what I thought the other week. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you not enjoy the, uh, the master? I've got quite a few texts off people, uh, messages to say, well, I got eight of the golfers and all this like that. The, when the fresh is on, live on yeah, the exactly. pod. It's, it's tough. It's tough. Um, so, yeah, so that was the little quiz to sort of introduce the World Snooker Championships. Obviously, the draw's now been made today. Uh, it starts on Saturday. Um, I suppose I'll give you a brief overview of the betting. So, at the moment, Judd Trump is 11 to 4 favourite, Ronnie O'Sullivan 9 to 2, Neil Robertson 5 to 1, Mark Selby 15 to 2, John Higgins 8 to 1, um, Kyra Wilson 18 to 1. Yam Bin Tao, 20 to 1. Ding Jong Wei, 22 to 1. Mark Allen, 25 to 1. And 33 to 1 bar. So those are sort of the tournament odds. Uh, looking at the draw, uh, we've got sort of Ronnie's playing Mark Joyce in the first round. Uh, notable ties, I would say there's quite a few first round gimmies, if you like. But Ding Jong Wei's got Stuart Bingham, which will be a tough game for Ding. Uh, Stephen Maguire's got Jamie Jones. Um, Neil Robertson's got Liang Wenbo. Barry Hawkins has got Matthew Selt. I think of the non-seeded players, Matthew Selt's a pretty decent player. He's had a good season. Um, Jack Lazowski's got Ali Carter, which would be a good game. 
um, and sort of Sean Murphy's got Mark Davis. So those are some notable first round ties. Uh, and it's for me, it's interesting where we've got, if you follow it through the draw, quarterfinals on seedings uh, or not on seedings. Well, on seedings would be Ronnie versus Stephen Maguire. Although I think Ding's playing Stephen Maguire in the second round on seedings. John Higgins is playing Mark Selby in the quarters on seedings. Neil Robertson's playing Kyron Wilson and Sean Murphy's playing Judd Trump uh, on seedings alone. Um, if you look at sort of the route through, for me, a couple of things that came out was that Neil Robertson's not got a bad draw, I'd say. He's got Liang Wenbo in the first round. Chinese player is obviously very decent, but I think Robertson's got too much game for him. He's had a very, very good season. Uh, he's then got probably Jack Lazowski or Ali Carter. Jack Lazowski's had a really good season, but I think Robertson on form should beat him. And then you think, well, Robertson's then got probably Kyron Wilson. Kyron Wilson, again, played well uh, earlier in the season, but recently hasn't been quite up to the same mark. Actually, suddenly he's through to the semifinals before you know it. So for me, I think real, Neil Robertson looking at the draw has got a very good draw. Probably why the bookmakers have got him as clear third favourite. Um, looking at the sort of season as a whole, uh, on recent form, Ronnie O'Sullivan has actually lost in five finals this season since he won the world last year. Uh, obviously won the world last year, won his sixth world title, big fanfare. He's actually a very good season on form, but he's lost a lot of finals. So uh, in reverse order, he lost to Neil Robertson 10-4 uh, in March in the Tour Championships finals. And he said Neil Robertson played some of the best snooker he'd seen. Um, which is saying a lot. And Robertson's obviously 5-1 to one to win it. Uh, Ronnie lost to John Higgins in the Players' Championship final. Higgins, again, played very, very well in that game. He lost to Jordan Brown in the Welsh Open final. And that game was a shocker from Ronnie, to be honest. It was a, a young man who has been a bit of a journeyman player and turned over O'Sullivan 9-8 in the final, which um, was a travesty, to be honest. I think Ronnie thought he was going to beat him and um, took his foot off the gas. Uh, he lost to Scottish Open final Mark Selby in December and lost to Judd Trump in the Northern Ireland uh, open final in November. So Ronnie's had a very interesting year in the fact he's playing well, but he's losing in finals, which is very unlike him. So form he's in form, but he has got that sort of asterisk next to him at the moment. And looking at his draw, you know, if he play, does play Ding in the quarters, I mean, he's got Ding's number and ha has had his number for years. So you'd think then he's got Selby in the semis and they can relive their amazing semi-final last season where went down to the last frame and Selby came out and said he was disrespectful because he was just banging the balls about and wasn't really concentrating. I think he was. I think he was just getting under Selby's skin. Um, what's your thoughts, Rob, on the snooker this year? Have you got any thoughts on uh, how you think it's going to go? I, I read an interesting article or an interview with Ronnie O'Sullivan today um, where he was questioning having fans in the Crucible. And he seems to be hyper-sensitive to COVID. Um, he's been kind of really isolating and he, he doesn't yeah well his mum's had it very badly, it really badly yeah he, he, when his kids are in the car they have to wear a face mask and have the windows open um so it's going to be interesting to see how he reacts if there's someone in the crowd having a coughing fit and whether that distracts him and he's a player that easily loses his concentration i find and you know when that happens he can just blow up and um completely lose his form if 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 he's if he's there and he's on form and he's concentrating throughout he's by far the best snooker player in the in the world in, in history isn't he so um but that's just my only question mark about him <clears throat> yeah and i think i think ronnie's i think you're right and i think o'sullivan doesn't necessarily need a reason to uh mentally disintegrate because yeah. he finds it's uh, over two two and a bit weeks and I, th I think Ronnie finds it very hard to stay motivated for that period. Um, but I, Ronnie's, for me, he's knuckled down a lot this season um, and he's got his act together a little bit this year and he seems more, more focused in during the actual season. And you're right, it's probably because of COVID and the, no fans has probably really helped yeah. him, I think. And it'll be interesting how he copes with that over a two-week period. Yeah, I, I, I do think that he might find it as a reason to lose because Ronnie loves blaming something when he loses mm. so it might be that he finds that reason but um would I be smashing into him at nine to two I'm not I'm not so sure for me but Phil what do you think yeah I completely agree I, th I think just the only thing being the motivation to get to seven so yeah I think catching Hendry is the thing he's talked about for so long I think that's the only thing is if that's his motivation and focus I think he could do it but 
yeah, I, I fear he's going to get distracted in a game or he'll lose his form. Crowd noise or something will throw him. But um, you, you'd love to see it. But I, yeah, I, I'm on the same page. I think he'll probably get distracted and, and you'll see him, see him turned over. Yeah, and I, and I think at the Crucible, it finds you out because it's a long format. And Ronnie's legendary at long formats because he's such a good player that it's hard to beat him over a long format. But he does go missing in some of these sessions at the at the Crucible. And one bad session is very hard to recover from. I mean, looking at his draw, he's got Mark Joyce in the first round. Then he's got the winner of Anthony McGill and Ricky Walden. I don't see that. I mean, Anthony McGill might give him a game because he's really good at the Crucible. In the first round ties, Anthony McGill might turn over Ricky Walden, but I can't see him turning over Ronnie. And then he's got probably Ding Zhongwei or Stephen Maguire. I think he probably both have their number. So really, I think Ronnie's probably going to get to the semis. But then if he plays Higgins and Selby, I actually think he's probably got a better chance against Selby than Higgins, even though he respects Selby. He loves John Higgins. And if John Higgins turns up, I could see him being a, given a very good match performance against he Ronnie. He had the better so, of him earlier in the season, didn't he? It was 10-3 final in the players championship and johnny Higgins played exactly. lovely in that. oh he played lovely in that game rob as well he was sensational yeah. um i watched it and he all week he was brilliant in that was it um the uh players championship finals and john and john higgins was just fantastic so i mean i love john higgins as much as ronnie does but uh and if you look at the odds higgins is eight to one you think well it might be a bit of a price but then you think well to get to the final he's got he's got to beat mark selby and probably ronnie o'sullivan I mean, it's not the easiest of draws. I'd rather be in the other half. So if you're looking at your each way betting, I'd rather be in the other half with, with the Robertsons and the Trumps and the, even the Yang Bin Taos. You know, Yang Bin Tao, I'm always a bit gutted about because he won the Masters this year and I backed him for the Worlds last year at a big price. So I missed him by, by a big one big tournament, basically. Um, so never mind. Uh, but yeah, so if, if you were going to have sort of a, a bet, where would you sort of, where's your sort of thinking going if, if you're going to have a bet in this, Rob, Rob, you first? I'd picked out um, John Higgins, to be honest. I think he's he's come into a lot of form this, this year and seems to be, you know, playing his best snooker. Um, I read that he's changed his action a little bit and he's working on putting the, the cue slightly closer to the cue ball. And that seems to be paying off, and that's what he did in the Players' Championship, and that's how he how he kind of won. Um, so if he can kind of follow that up in the in the Crucible, then he's got a decent chance. But you're right, it's a bit of a question mark about the, the side of the draw that you're on. Um, he's got to play Mark Selby, Ronnie O'Sullivan potentially to get to get even to the semi-final. Um, but he was the one I picked out at a price, so eight, eight to one worth a couple of quid i think yeah no definitely i i can see that mate and um phil any ideas any ideas from you yeah so i i think uh, for me higgins as well i think his form has been brilliant i, I think he's the one that i marked out i like yan ming tao as well i think um when the masters he looks like a really good player so yeah yan ming tao i think he was at 25s earlier i think he's coming already um potentially on the draw i don't I can't remember who said he played down but yeah, I think Yan Bing Tao to cause a bit of an upset. I think he'll go through um, the rounds. Who, who, who's he got in the first round, Dan? Have you got it there? So Yan Bing Tao's got Martin Gould in the first round. Who you think you'd... I mean, Martin Gould's a bit of a journeyman. I'd imagine he'll beat him in the first round. He's then got Sean Murphy in the second round if, if they get through. Sean Murphy... I mean, I love Sean Murphy because if you watch him live, he's one of the best best super players to watch because he hits the ball so cleanly. But he hasn't had the best of seasons. So I think you can probably say Yang might get to the quarters and then he's got Judd Trump. Uh, so that that's the one, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, for me, um, uh, I've got I've got two bets in this personally and they're in the same half of the draw. Um, I've got Neil Robertson as the shorter price. Robertson's had a great season. He's in great form. He's third favourite. He's in the better half of the draw for me. He's got probably a good route through to the quarters where he's then got Kyron Wilson. I think he's going to have too much for Kyron Wilson. So he's then got probably Trump or Yan in the semi. And you'd think, you know, you think he would have a good chance against both of those. I'd rather he played Yan than Trump. But uh, I think he'd. I think at the prices, I think I'd have a little bit of Neil Robertson. Um, and I think he's a decent bet at five to one. I wouldn't back him each way. I'd back him to win because I think if he gets to the final, I think he probably might have too much for Ronnie or John Higgins simply from a, 
um, longevity point of view. Ashley Higgins has shown that actually his age has caught up with him in finals, I think, recent in recent years. And same as Ronnie. It's a long, a long two weeks, the, the, the crucible. So I think Neil might just have it on sort of um, fitness and youth. Uh, the actual, the interesting bet, because that's not an interesting bet. The interesting bet I've had in the snooker is a player called Matthew Selt, um, who is 200 to one. And, you know, I like a little one, a, a bit of a price. Uh, I've had just a little nibble at it each way, uh, mainly because Matthew Selt's been playing really well. Uh, he's not quite been getting the results that he may may have got otherwise, but he's been playing very, very well recently on tour. Uh, if you look at his draw, he's got Barry Hawkins, who's been fine, but not knocking the lampshades out by any stretch. He's then got the winner of Kyron Wilson and Gary Wilson, which is probably Kyron Wilson. Kyron Wilson's not been in the best of form in recent weeks. He's then got Robertson in the quarters. So if he gets to the quarters, I'd have consider it a decent bet because he's 200 to one. And then if he gets to the quarters, anything can happen. I might cash it out. <laughs> um, but I, I think that actually he's a decent bet to get to the quarters. And at that price, I might look at him. But then I think he might, um, you know, bottle it come the quarters but i think he might get to the quarters so if there's any quarter betting or anything like that I'd, that's what i might look at for matthew Selt. but i back him at 200 to one each way a little nibble but uh, that's my big sh- that's my big big odds bet for the world so is he your is he your kind of favored qualifier then do you think out of all of the qualifiers yeah, I mean, if you look if you look at the qualifier, I haven't actually looked at the results of the qualifiers. Like, I've been keeping an eye on what's going on and who's been getting through, but I haven't been looking at necessarily the form of the qualifiers. But if you look at the qualifiers to get through, Stuart Bingham came through because he's had a slightly up and down year. Uh, Ricky Walden's obviously a good player. Normally, you'd like someone who's got a little bit of crucible experience, like Ali Carter's. Or Ali Carter's got his health issues, but Matthew Sell, I've been. I follow the snooker, as you know, quite quite closely over the year, and I think Matthew Selt's been actually been playing very very well. He, I mean, Hendry, he was made that he was in the news because he played Hendry's first game back. Hendry hit a century in the first frame, and then Selt battered him four one. And Matthew Selt played lovely, and I think he's got. He's, if he gets his act together, I think he's. I think he out the qualifiers. I like him quite a lot, and looking at the draw, I like him quite a lot as well. So. We'll see. Thing is, you know what it's like. It falls apart the draw because you think, oh, he's going to play Ronnie, and then Ronnie loses in the first round, and now suddenly they've got to play Mark Joyce in the second game. You're like, well, oh, happy days, you're through to the courts. So um, it falls apart. But looking at the draw as it stands at the moment, Matthew Selt would be my outside bet um, of the qualifiers. Pretty much. Uh, one for me as well, Dan. I think um, the interesting story is around Jamie Jones. Obviously, he's been out for twelve months, suspended. Um, you know he's come back and he's not he's not obviously played a lot of snooker, but I think he he did well in in the qualifier get into the tournament and he you know in terms of a point to prove you wonder if that's going to be enough to get him through. I think he's 150 to one at the moment, a bit of an outsider, but you know in terms of motivation to play well on the big stage, you feel like that would be it. And he's a decent player, um, so I think for me he was the one I noted as, as one to keep an eye on. Just for me and probably for the for the listeners, in terms of the each way betting, I'm assuming that then works in terms of rounds because normally it's places, obviously for like horses and stuff. Yeah, you, for, you for get sneakers, uh, you you get, the rounds they get, get to. Yeah, you get uh, first two, so it's uh, get to the final is your each way price, so, and it's half the odds instead of quarter of the odds. So it's half the odds. So Matthew Selt, if you got to the final, I get 100 to one on that. Uh, just looking at the quarter betting as well, Matthew Selt's 28 to one to win his quarter, and for me. He's got to play Kyron Wilson in the second round. He's a good player. But if he can get to the court, he's then got to play Neil Robertson, who's he obviously he's undergone against. But you're basically, for me, if he gets through those two rounds, he's then got 28-1 to for, to beat Neil Robertson, which has got to be a good thing. So, yeah, that would be my each-way angle in. Um, and, yeah, that's the Crucible World Snooker. So all to look forward to this week. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. Uh, On to the racing. Rob, I know we've got a couple of... Uh, days racing to talk about. Obviously, the um, passing of the Duke of Edinburgh has meant that the Scottish National Air and the Newbury uh, trials card, if you like, has been moved to the Sunday. So we haven't got our 48-hour decks that we'd normally look over. So, I mean, just to caveat, we're about to talk about these races. The horses may get withdrawn tomorrow on the 48-hour decks. So um, when you come to place your bets based on what the pod comes out with, 
you may find that uh, there's no <laughs> that the horse art isn't there. So do do bear that in mind. But Rob, should, do you want to give us a quick overview of the Scottish National Air on Sunday? Yeah, so the Scottish equivalent of the Grand National, um, not quite as prestigious and not quite as much prize money, but still a decent race in its own right. So I think it's four miles um, at air, which is a lovely course <clears throat> up in Scotland. Um, I've picked out one horse from this called Not A Chance, who won the classic chase at Warwick in January, which was quite a nice race to win, um, three miles, five furlongs, but then went into the Grand National trial at Haydock and didn't perform at all and was found to be lame. Um, it, his, his, um, his shoe had come off and basically gone into his foot, which sounds like a bit of a nasty injury. but. Um, Alan King, who's the trainer, said he's he's kind of back to back to full fitness, and they've been prepping him towards this race. Given, um, yeah, given he, he missed out on the kind of Grand National trial, um, so he, he looks in good form. And yeah, you can put a line through his last race, and at, at twelve to one in a in a thirty horse race with a decent each way value, I think he's a he's a nice bet. Who have you picked out then? Yes, Rob, I quite like I Wright at 7-1, to one, which is the favourite. It came third in the Ultima at Cheltenham. I think you always worry a little bit about a horse coming straight from Cheltenham to the Scottish National because there's only a month in between the two races. But I do think that this horse has got a lot going for it. I think it's off a decent mark. It's in form. It's finished third in the Ultima. It finished second at Doncaster in a listed race in January. I think it's probably got a lot going for it. And I think it's probably a worthy favourite for the race. But 7-1 to seems a little bit short for me for this horse. So I think I'm going to be taking a risk on taking risks at 16-1. to I think Nicky Richards trains it. It went to the National, got pulled up halfway around. So the usual bounce factor between the Grand National and the Air Scottish National I think you probably can say, well, it's probably not taken too much out of it because that only made it halfway round. You'd think that it got pulled up as well rather than fell in the national, which I think is quite important for a horse's sort of mental state. And I think it might have a decent chance in this. It got well backed on the day for the Grand National, which I think is a very, very good sign. There was obviously support behind it from the yard and off the mark that it is on, which is 150 he obviously thinks it's well handicapped. It beat I Wright, which is the favourite for the Scottish National in a listed race at Doncaster. And even though it was a listed race, the um, the handicap still applies. So it was carrying £5 less and it was rated £5 inferior. It's carrying 150 in this and I Wright is carrying um, 154. So it's going to be carrying £4 less. So it's not actually on much different terms in this race. I think it might be a worth taking taking a chance on it at 16 to 1. And I think it might be an each-way angle for me if it runs. It may get pulled out um, tomorrow on the 48-hour declarations, but I would hope it would run in this all being well. So, yeah, to be uh, taking risks for me is my probably each-way shout in the race. It's a nice bet, Dan, because he, he won it in 2019 as well. So... Won it in 2019. Cool. Um, cool. And that was... I don't know what the mark, I'm just having a look to see what the mark was in 2019. But, one, three, five, um, so quite a bit better. One, three, five, so it's, he's, he's, got a, he's got a stone to find with that, but he's got form in the race, so he goes in the race. And in 2019, the ground was good, which is going to be similar to what it is on Sunday, hopefully, as long as it doesn't too much rain between now and then. So he goes on the ground, he goes at the course, he's got to find a stone from, from two years ago, but... He looks like he's a stone better than he was two years ago. So he's improved. I mean, then he was two years younger. So now he is, uh, how old is he? He is 12 years old. So he's getting on a bit, but it might be still worth a chance at that. I, I think if I'm having a bet, I'm having it that way at the moment. Yeah, let's take a risk. Let's take a risk. 16, so 16 to 1. <laughs> How many times can you say? Yeah, quite a few times. Taking risks at 16 to 1 is my bet. And Rob is having a look at not a chance at 14 to 1. And hopefully he has more of a chance than not a chance. Uh, So, yeah. So shall we move on to Newbury then? And so Newbury uh, has been moved to the Sunday as well because of the Duke and Bredover's funeral on Saturday. We're going to have a look at two races. So Newbury is a kind of uh, Guineas trial. So the Guineas is the one mile classics at the end of this month. 
and they are over one mile. And then there's two seven furlongs, which is a seven eighths of a mile uh, trials at Newbury preceding that. So these horses are all sort of having their trials for the guineas. So let's start with the Fred Darling, which is the Phillies trial, which is the seven furlong Philly race. Uh, Alcohol free heads the betting at three to one, won the Cheekley Park last season over six furlongs um and it's really interesting with andrew building this year andrew building's horses are a lot more forward this time of year than they usually are and they're saying it's something to do with the spring or covid or everything else but andrew building's horses are a lot more forward than they normally would be which is a a, a big tick in andrew building uh, column as a trainer um a lot of the horses in this race are actually reopposing that horse um and it will all be how they came through the winter you don't know really a lot of them haven't had a run they ha- we don't really know how they've come on as two-year-olds to three-year-olds. So I know on the pod last week, we talked about this progression from two to three. And this horse is a perfect example of hopefully it's improved. And has it improved as much as it's as it's sort of um, rivals in the same age bracket? Uh, a horse I quite like at a price in this is Wild Iris for John Gosden. It's a 12 to one. Won a Newcastle maiden. Uh, at the back end of last year. I wouldn't say anything was any special. I, the pedigree doesn't necessarily interest me, but I really like the look of the way that horse extended out at Newcastle. And Gosden sends a lot of his better horses to Newcastle these days. And I do like how she, she finished that race. It, was, it wasn't it was flashy, but it, it got the job done. And I, I quite liked the way that horse did. And I thought that my horse might improve as a three-year-old. So he didn't bring her out till later in the year, which makes me think she was a filly that just needed a little bit of time. And I think you might get a bit of improvement. Frank Tory's riding it, so uh, we shall see on Wild Iris. But Rob, how do you feel, Fred Darling? What do you think? I want to oppose alcohol-free. I don't think that Cheveley Park run is worth so much weight. I think they they finished in a bit of a heap. Um, and there was a horse in there that came forth, Happy Romance, that actually beat alcohol-free the previous race at Salisbury. Um, and Happy Romance didn't have a great run in the Cheapy Park. He was he was out in the middle of the track, didn't have any cover, um, didn't have anyone to follow. So I think the fourth place was due to that rather than the horse's um, pure ability. So I'm I'm backing backing Happy Romance to to turn the tables. Um, Richard Hannon doing pretty well this season. Sean Levy he's quite good in these kind of fillies. Um, races as we know from history so um, yeah I'm back in Happy Romance and opposing the favourite yeah and Happy Romance is is an interesting one Rob because he won his three races before that Cheveley Park run and the one that always took my eye was the Super Sprint at Newbury in July which was 25 runners in that race to win a 25 runner two-year-old race you've got to be a serious two-year-old and happy romance certainly was that won that race as you said it went to york won the sort of premier yearling stakes there by two and a half lengths i mean the all these distances they're all two lengths you know it's not on the nose sort of thing salisbury beat alcohol free it's got a lot to like about it in an eight to one you're dead right i'd rather have happy romance at eight to one than alcohol free at uh three to one so yeah. more than double the price. So I think it's a no-brainer there for me. Happy romance. I wouldn't be surprised if that. Well, got, yeah. Wouldn't be surprised if that if that price disappeared on the day and it was more like five to one on the day. So no, that's a really good shout there, mate. And so Rob fancies happy romance for that. And I might just take a chance on Wild Iris improving. It's got to find probably 10, 15 pounds. But for me, I think it's it's only had one run. It's very unexposed. I feel like it's Gosden's just giving her a bit of time. So I think you might see a little bit of improvement for that horse in that race would be my shout. But, uh, and the other seven furlong races for the, the Colts. So this is for the 2000 guineas. This is for the boys and it's the Greenham stakes. Rob, how do you feel the Greenham's going to go? I really like a horse called Chindit, um, who is the favorite. Um, he's got a great name, Chindit. <laughs> and he's another one that, well, he ran, plenty of times last year and was unbeaten until it got to the last race of the season, the Dewhurst, where he didn't really turn up and didn't have much of a run of the race. Um, and I wonder whether he, he didn't really fancy Newmarket in that race. So I'm willing to kind of put a line through that and, and back him for back him for the Greenham. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because 
for our listeners who, who, who don't follow racing so hot, Newmarket is a very individual track. Um, the Rowley Mile is a very up and down track. You have the famous dip, which is in between three and two furlongs. The, the, the track really goes down and then up again. And some horses really don't like the dip at Newmarket. And, and I'd always forgive a horse. I mean, your horse, Rob Nialetti, was a perfect example of that. She hated the dip at Newmarket. Did, she, yeah. Whenever she went to Newmarket, she never, she never went well. That. Yeah. And and this horse might have just not got the dip. I mean, it won its three starts before it. It won a really good uh, seven furlong race uh, at Ascot, a listed race. It won a really good race at Doncaster, uh, over seven furlongs. Seven furlongs seems to be its trip. We'll see how it's come on as a, a three-year-old. But I think you're right. I think it's a well-deserved favourite in this race. And it looks to have every chance, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who do you fancy? Um, well, I do fancy it at two to one. I'm always a little bit worried about banging into a horse at two to one. That's a, a three-year-old and we haven't seen it run yet this season. So I don't know if I'll necessarily be backing it at two to one. I'd rather take a price on something. And and the, and the, the sort of horse that I'd rather take a price on in this race is the Learjet at 14 to one, a very interesting profile for me, the Learjet, because um, it's sort of a, a globe trotter at two, which is really unusual. So it ran at York uh, one. It's maiden at York, Went to Royal Ascot, won the five furlong Norfolk Stakes at Royal Ascot, Group 2. Very nice bit of form. Went to France, finished second in a Group 1 over there as a two-year-old. Went to the Curragh. It was a Group 2 in France, but went to the Curragh in a two-year-old Group 1. Finished second to Lucky Vega over six furlongs in the Phoenix. Then went to Newmarket over six furlongs in the Middle Park. Finished fifth. Didn't run particularly well in that race. But then went to the Breeders' Cup in the Juvenile Turf. Came down the field in that. But cool. talk about hardy two-year-olds. Go to France, Ireland and Breeders' Cup in America in the same season as a two-year-old. You'd think that this horse had a lot about it. And it was very, very mentally hardy. Yeah. And First time back as a three-year-old, we don't know how it's had over a winter, but I'll tell you what, it's probably hardened up having that sort of end to the season. I don't know how it's going to come on as a three-year-old, but at 16 to one, I'm prepared to take a chance in a race where a two to one favourite I'm a little bit worried about. I'll take a, a chance on a horse that I know will be ready and hardy and one first time out last season. And it was very good early season. So no worries about early season form for this one. And I think I'll probably take a chance on that at the price. But I won't be smashing into the favourite, even though I think the favourite will probably win yeah. in that race. Yeah, I um, agree with you, Dan. Yeah. Learjet looks nice. Um, second to Lucky Vega in a Group 1 at the Curra is not not to be sniffed at. Yeah, well, just the form from last season was first, first, second, second, fifth at Newmarket, and then... Uh, down the field at uh, uh, America, but blimey, I mean, first, first, first two starts in decent races. That was a decent ma- uh, maiden at York as well. So yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take a chance at a price on that one. But uh, but there we are. Right. So the final thing I want to cover tonight is the RBC Heritage Harbour Town Golf that's going on started this evening. Uh, so this is a tournament that's played at Hilton Head, uh, which is historically the week after the Masters. Favors sort of straight hitters it's very tight compact course so if you're having a bet in at the hilton head rbc you want to favor a golfer who keeps it on the straight and narrow uh i've had a couple of little nibbles um each way for this and it started tonight so listeners of the pod might have missed some of the prices but i've had siwoo kim at 40 to 1 in this who uh, had some amazing stats at Augusta last week. Tee to green, he was making something like eight eight strokes gained over the week on tee to green, but he lost it all putting. He famously, uh, at like Augusta this year, broke his putter um, where he smashed it on the floor. So he then had to putt the last five holes with his three wood, which I was enjoying immensely at this year's um, and uh, Masters. But I love the fact his putting stats actually didn't get any worse for those five holes. They remained the same with the three-wood as the putter, which I was loving. Um, but if you look at his stats for the Masters last week, he was amazing tee to green, and that's what you need at all. Uh, that's what you need at Hilton Head. He's 40 to 1, but I have seen he started with a level par round, so he's got a, some ground to make up. But the other player I backed was uh, Sun Jae Im, 
who again I think is very very good tee to green and he's three under so he's just outside the top 10 so those are the two nibbles I had before the week uh, have you guys had any look at the golf this week uh I- to be honest, I'm just count, counting my money from Zalatoris last week. I haven't haven't really <laughs> well, and I'm sticking on Colin Morikawa. I think he's he's the one to follow. I think he might have a dark horse in this this one. So yeah, well, it's, he's always Hilton Head's a really good. Um, he's one of the the only tournaments outside of the majors that I really get stuck into from a betting angle because I like uh, tournaments that you really know the angle, which is what it actually requires to win at that course and rbc heritage is a the short hitters love it because it's tight and it's it's accurate and you've got to be very very accurate around there and so for a betting angle i really like it as a tournament to get stuck into see the web simpsons and the player you know the players like that so it's a really good one so those are the two players that i've had uh for the golf this week so going on to our naps for this week so as you know we do a naps uh competition which rob is smashing dave and i at the moment so dave unfortunately couldn't be with us tonight but dave's wired in his uh nap selection for this week and he has backed dave gilbert uh each way in the betfred world snooker championships at 50 to 1 is dave's nap of the week because he loves a massive price as we know so he only needs one of those to come in and dave will be laughing on the naps table but dave's nap selection so i know a few of you love following dave's tips it's going to be dave gilbert 50 to 1 at the Crucible this week. Rob, what's your nap of the week? Uh, happy romance to win in the Fred Darling stakes, please. Yeah, and that's eight to one. Would you like that to win or place, Rob? To win, please. Oh, I love it. And it's eight to one in the price you've been quoted. Am I yeah. not doing you there on the price? Eight yeah, to good one man. At so yeah. Yeah, so Rob's having happy romance in the Fred Darling at eight to one. Phil, do you have a nap for us this week? Yeah, guest nap. So I, I um, obviously it's um, getting close to crunch time in the championship as we near the end of the season. It's the big one in terms of Watford Luton. So it's the Hertfordshire Derby this weekend. A bit the, the M1 nap. Derby. The M1 yeah. Derby. Uh, so I'm gonna. I think that's a tight game. I think Hart says Watford will probably win. So I'm gonna go Watford to win and Saar to score at twenty four to one. I reckon that's the the bet. Gosh, is it as much as twenty four to one? One nil and, and Sar to score. I think it's a tightly bet. Oh, I think Watford he, to win one nil. Sorry, yeah, Watford to win one nil and Sar to. That be the does guys. make a difference, Phil. To I, the I, just, bet. I think I was it's thinking... going to be tight, and I think Sar might be the difference maker as he has been in a few other games. So yeah, I can see that being the one goal winner. I like it as a nap, Philip. I like it as a nap. Um, so. My nap for everyone, as as you know, I always pick out a random race rather than anything we've previewed, which is very annoying, I'm sure, for all concerned. But I've picked a race at Newbury uh, tomorrow, which is the 2.15 at Newbury on Friday, uh, which is a two-mile handicap. So I'm sure everyone's listening going, why on earth has he picked this race? It's actually a pretty good race. I quite like the look of it at Newbury tomorrow. It's got some unexposed horses. Uh, I think it's a very, very competitive race. They've got two at the top of market, All My War uh, for Sheikh Hamdan and Imperium, which is a really unexposed horse, actually. If I was having a win bet, I'd probably be back in that. However, I'm always first time out, unexposed horses. You'd think they have a little bit in hand on the handicap. Um, what we've been seeing, so this week's been the Craven meeting at Newmarket, which is a really great meeting. Um, and what we've been seeing is actually a lot of the horses that have been winning this week at Newmarket have been on the all weather, have had an all weather winter campaign and are hardy and are tried and they've had their fitness races. And actually, Lucky Deal in this race has had a winter campaign, a hardy winter campaign, where a lot of the horses at the top of the market haven't run yet this season i.e. the top two in the market. And at a price, I quite like Lucky Deal. I think it's got a little bit of manoeuvrability at 102. So 102 is handicap marking. Andrew Breslin, who's ridden for Rob in the past, has taken off £5. And we think he's well worth the £5. So he's effectively running off 97. He's running off 97. If you think, look at his form, okay, he ran in the uh, Lingfield All-Weather Championships. He came third in that, which is a very good run. Uh, he came three of three to, to ranch hand in a sort of conditions race at Chelmsford. Again, completely understandable. Ranch hand won that all-weather championships race. Uh, won two handicaps before that. 
I do think 102 probably is about where he is. With £5 taken off, I think he might have £5 in hand based on Andrew Breslin. And he's a really hardy horse. I expect him to be ridden quite prominently. The unexposed horses, you don't know how fit they are. Are they being campaigned longer term? Does Roger Charlton for Imperium, for instance, have the Ebor in mind in York, at York? He won't want his market to go up too high. So might have Chester Cup. I don't know where he's going with that. So for me, lucky deal at 10 to 1 presents each way value for tomorrow. So I will be having my £5 each way nap on lucky deal uh, at... Uh, I've said 10 to 1. I've actually taken 9 to 1 at Skybet because you're getting five places. So Skybet, five places, 9 to 1 for a lucky deal um, tomorrow at Newbury at 2.15. So that would be my nap of the week. Good luck, everybody. Uh, Yeah, best of luck. Hopefully I might actually have a winner this week. You never know. After three losers. It's about time. All I'll say is I've been desperately unlucky so far and Espar de Rome is going down as an absolute classic um annoyance at least if you pick a horse on the flat it's not going to fall it's not going to fall although i tell you what if uh, i'm glad james Dawes not riding uh, my horse tomorrow because james Dawes, the amount of times this week at newmarket i've seen him take the outside rail because it, the stalls are over that side uh they take the outside rail and he gets covered up and then can't get out and can't get any room uh if he does that one more time at newmarket i'll strangle him so uh yeah not the best rides this week for mr Dawes, especially on a Godolphin horse that I backed um, today uh, certainly wasn't the best ride, but there we are. Uh, but yeah, he's just it, at Newmarket. You, surely you know that you're going to get swamped up on that inside rail, but the amount of jockeys that do it, they go for cover and then they can't get out is beyond me. Anyway, rant over. Um, so yeah, looking forward to lucky deal tomorrow. Great pod tonight, lads. Thanks for your time. And we sh- will see you on next week's pod. Um, where we will be previewing probably, Rob, I think it's Sandown's uh, celebration chase day, isn't it? Yeah. It's the end of the season thing. So we'll be having a look at that amongst other things. But thanks for your time, gentlemen, and uh, see everyone next week. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye.